Hello, you're listening to audio from First Church Butler. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit butlerfumc.com and connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at First Church Butler. Hear now from the prophet Joel. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm of my, on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble. The day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor even will be in ages to come. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. Grain offerings and drink offerings to the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. Gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. As we prepare our hearts through the singing of your hymns and the reading of your scripture, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in our hearts, that we might be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, our King. And Lord, as I bring what I sense you have given to me to share, I pray, Lord, that it would only come from you, and that I would stand not here but only at the feet of the cross. So come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So it's the beginning of Lent. And last year, around this time, it was still a little COVID-y, and we saw all the signs for the fish fries, and unfortunately, I didn't get to go to any of them. So this year, I'm making a point. Avery and I are going to find a fish fry, so if you have suggestions, let me know. But today is Ash Wednesday. It's the beginning of the Lenten journey. And for those of you who have been in the Methodist Church for a while, or maybe the Catholic Church, or other high churches that celebrate Ash Wednesday, you know a lot about what this season is about, this Lenten season and what Ash Wednesday is about, simply besides tanking Hershey chocolate sales the entire season. But for those of you who are new to Ash Wednesday, or maybe you have simply just forgotten the power and the grace that are found in this season, or maybe you are here tonight to prepare yourselves 
for the season ahead. I want to prepare us. I want to prepare each of us for the journey that lies before us. So today I want to talk about three things. Setting up a tent, Ukraine, and whether the people you love and know know the temperature of your heart. I went camping fairly often when I was younger. Uh, my family would, would all get together. We'd head down to Brown County State Park, uh, a little patch of forest in Cornfield, Indiana, and we would, we would get down there, we would pack full the gray and black 1990 Chevy Suburban. Many of you might know what that looks like. We'd, we'd pop the, uh, a, a converter into the cigarette lighter that would let us plug a tube TV into the back of it so we could drive down there and watch a movie as we went. One time, we were driving in the Chevy Suburban, and the, uh, the accelerator got stuck in it, and it literally almost killed our entire family. It was a terrifying experience. My dad pulled off to the side of the road and eventually fixed it. But we'd arrive at the campground, we'd, we'd get our campsite, we'd, we'd, we'd uh, find where it's at, and then came the dreaded tent. And I own tents now, uh, like Avery and I, that we use when we hike the backpack, or when we backpack, that it's, it, they're all connected. All the poles are connected, I can pop it up within seconds. This is not one of those tents. This is one of those tents where you pull out the instruction manual and you find the different color-coded ends of it and you hope and you pray that you can find the actual spots where they go. It would usually start out okay. My mom and my dad would lay the, the fabric flat onto the ground out there. They'd lay some poles where they're supposed to go. But as soon as the poles start being erected up into the air and they start flying everywhere, every, everything was off the game at that point. Words started flying. People started to get really upset at one another. Eventually, it would become too much for my father and for my mother. And I knew in that moment, when we'd set up this tent, and I'd anticipated every single time, that setting up a tent made them not the kindest of people in the world. Eventually, it would end with my mom and sister setting up the rest of the tent, and my dad and me going off and doing something else. So fast forward to Avery and I's first camping trip together, and we're walking to our campsite. We're getting there, and internally, I am terrified. I think this tent is going to end our relationship. We're never going to make it through this. Tents are evil, and they make people hate each other. This what's going on in my head. You see, my family experience with tents taught me that when things are complicated, we should just split off and do our own thing. I learned that when we get angry with one another, just walk away. Ignore that this ever happened and hope that when you come back, nobody's going to know the difference. I learned that if you yell louder than the other person then you'll silence them and force them to do what you want. And I learned this from a Coleman tent. I watching, I've been watching over the past few weeks the events taking place in Ukraine. And over the past weeks, things have been escalating. And last Thursday, Vladimir Putin ordered Russian troops to cross the border into Ukraine. And I watched the screen... And I began to weep. 
The sadness grew up inside of me. The grief over the choice to, to solve our problems with violence. Sadness for the Ukrainian Orthodox Church and the disciples of Jesus Christ present there. Sorrow for the needless lives that are going to be lost in the days, weeks, months to come. And as many of you know, the tensions have been escalating for weeks, and Vladimir Putin insists he has nothing to do with this cause. But just a week ago, week and a half ago, people sat in cafes chatting with one another. Computers open, working remotely. Students were attending schools, and children with cancer could go to Ukrainian hospitals and receive the treatment that they needed. Churches were holding services, and they too were preparing for the Lenten season to begin, just like we are now. Now, they run to bunkers and flee across the border, or they take up arms to defend their country. Children are being separated from their families, and because of Vladimir Putin's aggression and zeal for the Russia of his youth, people are dying and will continue to die. Communities will be torn apart. And children all over the world will watch as their parents respond to the war at hand. In Ukraine, children may watch their parents protect them at the cost of even their own life. Depending on the outcome of the war, children may learn that violence is actually the way to solve our issues at hand. They might learn how to live in fear and in chaos. And that if you're going to survive, you need to take what you need and don't think about anybody else. Ultimately, they'll follow the example of the mothers, fathers, and elders in their midst. Or they might learn to be generous with the limited foods as they watch their parents give what they have to their neighbor that came with them into the shelter. They might learn how to pray for healing as they watch their pastors and priests roam about the city praying for those who are dying and injured and still have a faith inside of them. They might place their hope in Jesus Christ as Lord and know He is with them as they watch the new widow find her peace in the unshakable kingdom of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, they will follow the examples of their mothers, fathers, and elders around them. In the United States, children are going to learn how to emotionally and spiritually deal with international violence as they watch their parents either mourn for the lost lives or get overly focused on the strategic military decisions at hand. They may learn to become callous to the brokenness in this world as their father refuses to shed a tear for the fallen or as their mother and Father, go to them with hope and peace and trust in Jesus Christ and pray with them beside their bed. They may learn to be optimistically broken in response to the sickness of this world. See, your grandchildren, your children, your neighbors, brothers, sisters, and spouse will watch you as a Christian and either be attracted to Jesus Christ's love and compassion or believe that Jesus Christ is a warlord. Depending upon the way that you model him. 
Will you daily orient yourself to Jesus Christ in a world of chaos? Will you rely upon the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim Jesus as Lord? And in the midst of a world evolving into disaster and chaos, will you model the self-sacrificial love of Jesus Christ? And in those moments, ask the Holy Spirit to bring it into reality. Hear from the book of Revelation. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes and have white clothes to wear. So you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So when we read this passage, we often take it out of context. And we think that Jesus is at the door for the very first time and all you need to do is open that door and let him in to your life. But I've got to give you a little bit of a reality check on what's going on in this text. The reality is, the church of Laodicea has kicked Jesus out of the church and set him on the doorstep. Jesus is outside the door knocking because the church has wanted him to leave their meeting. He's outside the door knocking, hoping, and earnestly desiring for the church to let him in. But in reality, they don't want him in there. They are comfortable. They bought everything they need. And this guy, Jesus, is going to make a mess of it all. Jesus is outside the church knocking because he has grace for them. But he's outside the church knocking because they don't want him. They would prefer to have him on hand when they need him, close enough so that they can say, yeah, Jesus, come in, I need you now, but not close enough to wreck their life. They are lukewarm. They won't say, I want nothing to do with Jesus, but in the same breath, they will not say, Jesus, I want you to have every single part of me. They want Jesus when he's kind and helpful. They don't want him when he flips tables and asks for their whole life. So what does hot look like? Just as the parents and elders will teach their children how to respond to the war in Ukraine, just as I learned that tents are an evil thing, we should look to our king to see the way to respond and be filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit. So let's see how Jesus modeled the way of the kingdom. Here from John 19. 
Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Let me be clear here. Jesus Christ, our King, has modeled to us a painful and penitential way. While we're not going to be the sacrifice for the whole world, he made it absolutely clear to us that the way of the kingdom is not by power and control. He showed us that the way of the kingdom is submission, humility, and faith in the love of the Father. So in response to the war in Ukraine, we must be broken by the absolute horror of death, destruction, and chaos but we must also believe in the grace and power of, of Jesus Christ, our Lord, to heal the sickness in our world. We must weep for the atrocities, but remain committed and connected to the unshakable kingdom of God. Our friends, our kids, our grandkids, our co-workers, our spouse, they're watching us to see how Jesus will respond. So, instead of abstaining from chocolate this year, I urge you to make it a daily practice to model the life of Jesus Christ to those around you. But more specifically, I urge you to model a life of repentance from a lukewarm faith. To tell your children you haven't given your entire life to Jesus, and then model to them the surrender of all the luxury amenities that you come to collect in your home. To apologize without qualification to your neighbor when you grew frustrated with him, and then to invite him into your home for dinner. To not ignore the argument with your spouse, but instead to humbly apologize and seek forgiveness from them. So as you receive the ashes today, let them be a sign of a hot, fully surrendered life to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. May you form and shape in us a desire to rid from our lives the things that are not surrendered to you and to your kingdom. We trust in your power, Jesus. So come and do the work that you need to do in our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.